Welcome to Medicine Wisdom with Lena Franklin. Over the next hour, you are going to go through a journey of transformation and self-realization. Now, here is Lena. Hello, and welcome to Medicine Wisdom. I'm Lena Franklin, modern medicine woman, transpersonal psychotherapist, founder of the East Institute. Welcome to Medicine Wisdom, a radio talk show that will teach you that to journey inward is your highest calling that you have the power to heal yourself. Your power and purpose exists within your medicine. Your medicine is the gift your soul came here to share with the world. And speaking of good medicine, we have an incredible woman here with us today, our guest, Kayla Osterhoff. And we're going to be diving into human optimization, the neuroscience of plant medicine. Kayla is a researcher, a neuropsychophysiologist, a world-renowned women's health expert. Um, this incredible, incredible being is here to help us really understand how psychedelics and plant medicines truly can, can be a transformative catalyst for our healing and awakening. Welcome, Kayla. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Yeah, so let's let's dive in. Kayla and I, we actually were both um, speakers at this wellness event in Austin. It feels like a lifetime ago, but some years back. And Kayla, one of the things I so loved about connecting with your teachings, your presence, um, you know, the way that you share the wisdom and the work that you embody in the world is that you really sit at this powerful intersection of both science and spirituality. And I would love for you to share some about your story. You know, what are your relationships with the sacred plants? How has this work guided you into being such a powerful female leader at that intersection of science and spirituality and whatever feels at the mm -hmm. forefront of your heart to share. Yeah. Thank you so much for that beautiful introduction. Um, you know, plant medicine has been such an important part of my own healing journey and, um, and really working with the plants and psychedelics specifically um, started personally for me about five years ago or so. Um, and prior to that, um, I had done several years of research before I was kind of um, sold <laughs> to have my first experience and start to um, navigate through the plant medicine space. Um, <clears throat> so kind of backing up from there. Um, growing up, I had a, what would some people would call kind of like a traumatic childhood experience. And um, my household was very chaotic and there was a lot of addiction and disease and um, depression and just mental illness going on in my immediate family at home and um, with my expanded family as well and lots of familial trauma going on around those same subjects um, especially with the women in my family and in my lineage and so growing up um, in kind of a chaotic experience um, i became the typical type a um, 
go-getter personality, super hyper vigilant, always on the edge of my seat, always on guard. Um, and in a lot of ways that really served me well because um, it drove me to be very successful. Um, it kept me, you know, focused in school. I always wanted to be the best, the top of my class, um, studying in the health sciences. Um, and then it pushed me to excel in my career. And eventually, um, I got my dream job with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, working as a health scientist after I finished up my master's and, um, was really kind of burning the candle on all ends. And I was your classic control freak. Um, everything in my experience um, had to be controlled by me, which is super exhausting because first of all, that's not possible. And secondly, when you're trying to control everything outside of you that is not controllable, and I wasn't controlling the one thing that I do have control over, which is my own self-regulation, um, it really burns you out quickly. Um, and so I experienced full on adrenal burnout, um, a couple years after that. Um, and of course I was able to do a lot when I was in that hypervigilant type a, um, do everything, control everything space, which again, served me in, in a lot of ways. Um, but then my health started breaking down and my mental and physical health were really starting to suffer because I was in this kind of burnout cycle, um, not just kind of burning through all my resources, not allocating them in a smart way because I was trying to control everything, which can't be controlled. Um, and all the while, of course, not acknowledging that I maybe had these experiences in childhood that shaped me into the way that I am. And there was some things to look at and heal from in those space. I was kind of like, no, just move forward. There's no point in moving back kind of person. Um, so along with doing a ton of things to kind of heal my adrenals and my hormones and my physical health, and which was a whole long exploration and a topic for another podcast episode. Um, but, in, but another layer of that, once I got to like a healthy physical place, um, I kind of reached this plateau where I couldn't really get any further. And I had also reached this plateau in my career and my own personal expansion and my success. Um, I was at this place where I was just not satisfied with where I was, but couldn't really go any further with both my health and my career and my success and all of these things, um, relationships. And so at that point, I started kind of researching the plant medicine space because it had, you know, started bubbling up. I saw some really interesting research come across my desk from Johns Hopkins University, Stanford University. Um, and then I started looking at the MAPS um, studies and protocols. And I was really, really interested in psychedelics and plant medicines for their therapeutic applications, especially for trauma, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, anxiety, depression, and things like this, which were all rampant in my family. And I always had a fear that at some point, these kind of mental illnesses would creep into my own experience. So um, after several years of, of kind of researching and studying and seeing the data and watching documentaries and talking with colleagues who work in the research space with psychedelics, I was like, okay, I am ready to try this myself. And 
it was interesting because the first experiences that I had were with psilocybin specifically. And um, the first three or four experiences that I had, um, I didn't have your classic psychedelic seeing rainbows, like really kind of like amazing explosive experience, right? Um, that I thought I might have. However, something really, really profound happened for me and shift for me, starting with the first experience and through all of these first few experiences, which was my body downregulated and fully relaxed for the first time ever in the medicine space. I had never understood what relax actually means. You know, I'd say, oh yeah, I'm relaxing, you know, sitting on the couch, watching a movie or something, right? But I was right. never relaxing. My nervous system was always on edge, always hypervigilant. And when I got into the medicine space, I didn't have any visuals. I didn't have any profound downloads from God or anything like this, but the most significant thing happened, which was my nervous system learned how to self-regulate for the first time and down-regulate. So after a few of those experiences, what it did for me is it gave me a reference point to finally understand something that I could never understand because I had never experienced it before, which was true down-regulation, true relaxation, um, true self-care, um, self-love. And those were things that I cognitively knew what those things meant. And I thought that I had experienced those things before, but I had not. And when I finally got a reference point for it, it's it was such a beautiful thing because it gave me a roadmap of how to get back there in my day-to-day -day regular life. And so, you know, my personal psychedelic experiences really helped me to learn how to self-regulate. It, it trained my nervous system to be more resilient, to, um, you know, turn off when it's time to turn off and slow down when it's time to slow down and use my internal resources more effectively, more appropriately. Um, and then the evolution just kind of uh, bloomed and blossomed from there. And, um, you know, the experiences have, I have had the explosive, beautiful speaking to God experiences and, you know, learning about myself, learning about my family, having more compassion for my family and their situations and having more self-compassion um, and more compassion and patience for the world and what's going on in the world. And it has really up-leveled, I think, who I am. And it has helped me to become more of who I truly am and move away from all these um, layers and personas and postures that everyone kind of builds up and starts to um, create this armor around them as they, you know, have experiences through childhood, grow into adulthood, um, interact with so many people and situations. We start to mold ourselves into all these ways that are really unnatural. And it's really hard to maintain those, um, what I'll say are postures, right? They're not natural postures, but you have to maintain them after you've created a persona. Um, and so to be able to kind of take those layers off and start to be comfortable with me and who I am and, and just kind of increase <clears throat> my capacity 
to, um, to learn about myself, to learn about my family, to support myself, to support my family. And then also to deepen the learnings that I've had about human health and behavior and understanding mental well-being and physical well-being on these much deeper layers um, that now I'm able to, you know, help and communicate others with. Mm. So beautiful. And thank you for sharing that in-depth journey of your relationship with um, the sacred plants and and fungi. And, you know, you speak to something that I feel is a really important part of the demystification of what it means to begin to be in relationship with these medicines and that we may read articles and watch documentaries or even listen to a friend's experience. And yet the medicine works with us in such a specific and individualized way, given what we carry in our subconscious, given what we need medicinally, physically, energetically, spiritually, mentally. And there are so many times that we have clients come in to the East Institute and they have a very similar experience in that their first two, three ceremonies, there's not that magical psychedelic visual experience that there's an attachment to, right? Mm-hmm. And and yet there's something so deep and profound happening that capacity to regulate, that capacity to shift from the story that we are relaxing, that we are um, in this parasympathetic, you know, rest and digest state to actually embodying that state is such a massive aha and that shift from knowledge, right? Because we, you know, I'm before I even started this work again, me too, I researched a ton about it and read and read and read, but that shift from knowledge into embodiment, I see that journey within your journey so profoundly. And I really appreciate you speaking to that. And the question that's coming through Kayla is as you continue to deepen your own healing journey for yourself, for your family, for your lineages, for the world, how did you continue to integrate some of those experiences into your day-to-day? Because obviously that's just as important as the, you know, ingesting the medicine or the ceremony itself, that we're we're actually working to grow the muscle of whatever it is, of mindfulness, yeah. of nervous system regulation, of neural pathway reprogramming. What what did your yeah or what has your ongoing integration process looked like? Yeah. And, um, I would say that the integration process is actually the most important aspect, um, even more important than the initial experience itself. Um, and you know, what the research is starting to show is that the integration part is actually, um, responsible for the long-term changes um, in terms of people, you know, healing from post-traumatic stress disorder or depression or anxiety disorders. Um, The correlation between the people who are having um, integration support or integrating those experiences into the day-to-day experience 
that is what is showing is responsible for these kind of therapeutic effects. So it's really interesting. And that has certainly been my experience. Um, I'm, I'm a person that with these kinds of experience, I'm a slow burn, meaning I need a long time to integrate for in between experiences. Some people aren't like me and they, they can go faster. They can integrate faster. But for me, the, the um, physiological changes that occur alongside the <clears throat> kind of cognitive shifts and the realizations and the perceptions that change and shift post experience last um, several months after an experience. And the integration of that um, is different for everyone. But for me, it really involves um, working with a integration coach who can understand the experiences and really guide some of these expansions that occur, um, as well as really supporting my body post experience too, because there are these shifts happening. There is, we'll talk about this in a little while, but, but there's these neurological shifts that are significant that are happening, but there's also some physiological and chemical kind of shifts in the body that need to be supported properly and held and, and kind of brought back into balance, um, and, and re, um, set you could say. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so for me, that's a really important part to really support my physical and mental um, expansion and reset post experience. And I see in this medicine space, now that it's becoming more and more popular, um, I do see some kind of what I'll call traps um, where, where people kind of get in this healing trap where they're <clears throat> they're healing from their trauma and they're going into these experiences looking for healing and that's the purpose um and there's a lack of integration post experience and they're expecting to go into the experience and be healed um but there's a lot of work that has to be done post experience and so I call it a trap or I call it the healing trap because I see people who work with these medicines for a lot and over many years and never really make progress in their regular day-to-day -day life. They have these expansive, amazing experiences and they're, you know, really um, profound. And then they don't take that and integrate it into their life. And so the changes that, are, that can occur and the benefits that can occur don't last. Um, and right. so they're perpetually in the healing um, and not never getting to the place where they feel healed or like they feel like they've made progress. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. You know, it reminds me of this um, story that that Jeff tells frequently when he was at an ayahuasca ceremony and there was a guy sitting next to him who was essentially boasting about being in over a hundred ayahuasca ceremonies. And in Jeff's mind, actually, he may have, he may have asked, but the question was, well, what, what didn't you get in the first couple of ceremonies that, you know, wasn't yeah. integrated, you know? And so yeah. in this space that is expanding pretty rapidly, I want to, to just emphasize this to our listeners and, to anyone who is either embarking on this work or considering, 
you know, embarking on this plant medicine work journey, that that's essential. You know, your, your soul is here in human form and integrating the wisdom, the insights, the shifts in perception and perspective and new novel thought processes. That's, that's an ongoing journey. And without that integration, it's just a cool experience or maybe Mm -hmm. a challenging experience (laughs) that didn't actually get grounded into your body and into your, Mm -hmm. your mind and into your energy field. And so I really um, I appreciate how how much you emphasize that because I feel like this point of integration is one of actually the most essential aspects of doing this work with sustainability and integrity and longevity of progress, um, especially right now when when it's it's a field that is expanding every day very yeah. very quickly. Yeah. And, um, I think one of the other things that, um, I think can be a challenge for people and there may not be enough awareness around this key part of doing this work is, um, you know, post experience, and we'll talk more about this in a little while too, but post experience, you are in this heightened neuroplastic state and you are very, um, susceptible or very sensitive to pretty much everything in your environment. So let's say, for instance, a person goes into an experience and they are healing from a dysfunctional relationship. Let's say that's, you know, the topic of their experience in the medicine and they have these profound realizations and they're back connected with themselves and what they need. And they, they are feeling really empowered And then they go home and they're in the same environment that they were in with the same person in the same relationship, same circumstances. But now they are in this heightened neuroplastic state, which means that they are more sensitive. Their brain is more moldable. Um, So in so many ways, that's a beautiful thing because it's kind of like putting fresh powder down on the ski slopes so that you can make new tracks going down, right? If you think about our behaviors and our patterns and the way we think and our thought processes, these are all like, you know, tracks down the ski slopes that we normally go down. And as we go down them more, they get more well-worn. And then when we go into a medicine experience, it puts down fresh powder on the ski slopes. And it gives us an opportunity to change these behaviors, change these thought processes and change these um, behavioral patterns that we have that we want to move away from. However, with that, if we go back into the same experience, same circumstances, same situation with the same support system and nothing really changes about where we're going back into our day-to-day life, there's no integration then all we're doing is we're actually wearing those old ski slope patterns back down and ingraining them even more deeply than they were before. So there is a risk there that you could um, ingrain some of these traumatic things or these negative behaviors or negative thought processes. You could potentially ingrain those deeper in if you're not supported properly post-experience. Yes, I, I have that visual of this the fresh powder and the insurance tracks. I think that's 
such a, an accessible way to really understand what's going on. And absolutely, this is why, um, you know, actually we, people come to us a lot having done all different medicines, ketamine, um, ayahuasca, psilocybin, all different kinds of um, medicines. And sometimes we see that, that actually the trauma response because of lack of integration, perhaps the same environment, perhaps, um, you know, their own misunderstanding around the ceremony itself, because of course the medicine speaks very symbolically. And if you don't have someone who's highly trained and a responsible um, seasoned guide to integrate, then that can kind of land in one's psyche, one's consciousness in a way that's even more damaging, right? So the essential nature of this is, is so key. And so for you, you know, on your, on your journey with, with the medicines, um, what have you seen in terms of what is most like in terms of tools and body practices, perhaps cognitive tools, what have you seen as some of the most um, helpful ways to continue to forge those um, new steps down the mountain that you want to create those new neural pathways? Yeah, I think um, going into an experience and having an intention, not that you have to stick with that, you know, the experience may change and something else may came up and that's totally fine. Um, being flexible with that too is important, but having an intention going in so that you are at least guiding yourself in a direction that is going to be um, fruitful for you and make progress. Then coming out of the experience, having an immediate integration of the experience, um, you know, whether it be the next morning, the, the following day, even after the experience, a few hours after the experience, but <clears throat> being able to talk about the experience and reflect on, you know, how it kind of matched up with your intention. Um, that's a, that's a really important piece that sometimes I think gets skipped, um, so that you can really start to draw what are those key pieces of information or insight or changes or aha moments that I had that I want to take home and start working on. Um, and then you have kind of your list of things that you want to be reflecting on, that you want to have conversations with other people about, that you want to um, enforce for yourself. Maybe you had a thought like, oh my gosh, I need to make sure that I get better sleep. That's an act of self-love. Like that could be an insight that you got. Well, then you want to keep yourself accountable, maybe even have an accountability partner to um, act on that insight and, and take those messages and those insights that you get and actually put them into practice in your regular life. Because again, if it doesn't translate into your day-to-day -day life, then it's just a cool experience that you could talk about later, but it's, it's not going to actually make changes for you. Absolutely. Yeah. It reminds me of um, when I first started the medicine journey, my own healing yeah. One of the dynamics that I was working through and a lot of your story actually resonated with me as, you know, there wasn't a lot of direct trauma in my childhood, but I inherited so much of my, um, so much ancestral trauma, especially from my mom's side who my mom, um, she was from Vietnam and really experienced significant amount of trauma, you know, had an alcoholic and abusive father and was, um, you know, 
definitely traumatized through different experiences, experiencing the Vietnam War, uh, poverty. So there was this entrenched, passed down belief that something is always wrong, that something is always wrong, this hyper vigilant yeah. belief that ran through my nervous system. And I too felt like, um, you know, I was relaxed, but wasn't actually. Yeah. And so, you know, this, this idea of something is always wrong was really reprogrammed by my internalization of the the belief and mantra that all is well. Mm-hmm. So using that, and I remember, you know, putting that sticky note on my mirror and different places in my home. And so, um, yeah, just bringing me back to that piece. And and we're going to dive deeper into how to continue to reprogram those neural pathways on one's plant medicine journey, including how this work can really be a pathway into human optimization in so many different ways. Thank you, Kayla, for being with us. And if you're tuning in, stay tuned. We're going to dive into practices and the neuroscience of plant medicine after a very short break. Be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Hosted by modern medicine woman and transpersonal psychotherapist, Lena Franklin, Medicine Wisdom is a radio talk show that will guide you on expansive journeys of transformation, inspiration, and powerful embodiment of your soul's purpose. We all have a medicine, a unique gift that's meant to flow through us and into the world. Wisdom comes when we transform the false aspects of our inner and outer lives in service of embodying the truth and light of our most expansive desires. Your heart-ignited desires are the access points into discovering who you are and why you're here on Earth. Medicine Wisdom, Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Medicine Woman with Lena Franklin. We hope today's episode is empowering you. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. And we are here dropping in with Kayla Osterhoff, neuropsychophysiologist. And we've been diving into the topic of plant medicine and how working with psychedelics and plant medicines can be this access point into deeper healing and transformation with the proper integration process. So Kayla, I'd love to deepen this conversation. Um, Can you begin sharing more about, I mean, what are these medicines actually doing in our brains and how do they have the capacity to help us? 
Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I shared about my personal experience and there's this psychological aspect that follows a pathway similar to what I experienced and what you experienced and is an important part, but there's also this neuro neurological, neuroelectrical, neurochemical part of what is going on when you're using these medicines, these substances, right? Um, and the, the research and the psychedelics that, um, that I work with and study are serotonergic hallucinogens, which act on the serotonergic systems of the brain. And so um, those are, you know, psilocybin, LSD, DMT, which come from a variety of different plants and, and, um, and substances. And so these are the ones that have like the vast majority of research besides MDMA, which is, um, another, but it's classified as a psychedelic, but it's a little bit different and it works on the dopaminergic, um, systems of the brain, but kind of going back to these serotonergic hallucinogens that we've been talking about today, um, psilocybin most, uh, commonly, and that's the one that is, you know, becoming more and more popular and it's becoming, um, legalized in some places and there's more access to it. And it's something that can easily be grown, um, yourself and, um, and it's in its full plant form. So I like to talk about this one, um, the most, because it is the one that people are most interested in and most likely to interact with first. Um, so with these different serotonergic hallucinogens, when they act on the brain, there is um, a few shifts that occur. So one of the shifts is a chemical shift, right? And that comes from acting on the serotonergic or serotonin uh, pathways of the brain. And serotonin is kind of the mood stabilizing neurotransmitter, whereas dopamine is the reward system neurotransmitter. Um, so serotonin, or serotonin and the serotonergic pathways are related to mood, mood stabilization, nervous system regulation, and everything, how all of those pieces kind of come together. Um, and when you're using these substances, they act on the five H2A receptors of the brain, which alter this neurochemical response. And during the actual experience, you have a huge flood of serotonin, um, as well as dopamine, oxytocin, other neurotransmitters as well. Um, but you have this huge flood of serotonin that comes into the brain, which plays a part in the experience. So it plays a part in potentially having visuals. It plays a part of feeling really good, of having a really elevated mood, and also of having positive perceptions. So, you know, you're having this expanded um, mental experience and your perceptions are skewed um, oftentimes more positively, which can be part of the therapeutic effect. Um, so I'll talk more about that in a moment, kind of the psychological aspect, but there's also an electrical shift of the brain that occurs that is significant. And it's also responsible for this kind of introspective expanded state and experience that you go into. Um, and that is because there is um, across the brain, there is depolarization of of these 
um, cells, these deep layer pyramidal cells in the brain. And what happens when that depolarization happens is there's a network level change in the way that the brain communicates with other parts of the brain. And so there's this net network level desynchronization of connectivity in the brain. So it's across the whole brain, the way that the brain is speaking and connecting to each other is completely shifted. This is why you get this big increase in neuroplasticity, because all of those neural pathways and how all the neurons are wired together and fire together, all that whole thing is, is, um, is altered during the experience. At the same time, that is responsible for shifting. There is more activity of the low frequency um, bands of brain activity. So delta and theta. Um, delta is like the down regulatory. It's the most dominant brainwave during sleep. And theta is is one, le um, one level above delta. And it's more of this in between sleep and awake, it's like this dream state. Um, it's this creative place, creative thought processes, thinking differently, thinking outside of the box. That's um, what theta brainwaves are associated with most profoundly. And at the same time, so there are certain areas of the brain that have more of these kind of low frequency bands activity. So it's moving us out of um, the middle frequencies like beta, which beta is about being alert and focused and hypervigilant sometimes and stressed um, and, um, and, you know, uh, being um, working proficiently. That's kind of where beta is. Um, and kind of type A people like me um, can kind of stay in this high beta frequency all the time and their nervous system really gets tapped from that. So it brings people out of that high beta, low beta, and more towards those lower frequency bands, the more relaxed states, more creative states. And at the same time, in certain areas like the occipital region of the back of the brain, there's higher activity of gamma, which is the very highest frequency brain activity, which is also associated with creativity. Um, so with that, there are these kind of significant structural changes that increase the plasticity of the brain. And when the plasticity is, is increased, the brain becomes kind of more moldable. At the same time, there's also kind of this downshift of the default mode network, which is, again, an, a really important part of the nervous system and self-regulation and fight or flight and stress response and all of those things. So when the default mode network gets to kind of not shut off, but take a break, it allows the nervous system to downregulate and self-regulate. And that was what I experienced um, personally, most profoundly in the first few experiences that I had, is I had a noticeable change in my nervous system and the ability to downregulate. So that's kind of half of the equation of what's going on. All of these... Um, physical changes to the brain um, do help to create this introspective, expanded mental state where the person can um, psychologically kind of disassociate from their acute experience and gain a broader perspective. Um, mm -hmm. So on the, on kind of that psychological subconscious 
side of things, there are also changes happening there that change a person's mental state and ability to navigate their situations and um, heal from trauma and maybe move out of depression, anxiety, um, post-traumatic stress, um, attention, attention deficit disorder, things like that. Um, and that is um, because when you go into a psychedelic experience, it's very similar to the hypnotic state. So um, one of the things that I do in my research is brain imaging studies. And when you look at the brain images or brain activity of a person in a hypnotic state and in a psychedelic state, the brain activity looks very, very similar. So all of those things I was talking about where the network level desynchronization and the increase in delta and theta and gamma um, uh, dominance in those, those brain waves is very similar to going into a hypnotic state or somebody who's been hypnotized, right? Um, and so what happens in that hypnotic state is that the subconscious mind um, kind of all of these programs that run in the background of our mind that keep us safe and keep us focused. And it's the part of us where, you know, you get in the car and you're talking on the phone and you're eating your breakfast and drinking your coffee. And somehow you make it to where you're going without thinking about it. That's the subconscious mind. It's always has, you know, a million tabs open in the background of your brain computer. And it is keeping everything organized and trying to keep you safe. And it's running based on your experiences in your life. And so, you know, all the experiences you've had in childhood and what I was talking about before, how all of our experiences create all these different layers that we put on and we carry around and these postures that we have to hold. That's all the subconscious mind. And the subconscious mind is really responsible for 95% of our behaviors and the conscious active mind. Like if I was to make a decision right now that I didn't want to have this conversation anymore, I turned off the computer. That's the active conscious mind. That's only responsible for 5% of our overall day-to-day -day behaviors. The subconscious mind is really kind of running the show, but the subconscious mind is kind of pesky because it's hard to access. Um, the subconscious mind is not something that we can just go, okay, I see that. I want to change it. It's not quite that easy. These are ingrained programs that are, um, have been installed, you know, through our childhood, through our adolescence and have been running over and over and over and over and over in our brain, creating these neural pathways that are well-worn. So it kind of bleeds back into that physical construct and it's responsible for the way we think, the way we operate, our perception of the world, um, our experience. My experience that I'm having right now is unique to me. And the experience that you're having is unique to you. It's a bio-individual experience of reality that is determined by these subconscious programs and the physical construct of the brain, the electrical and chemical activity of the brain that we're talking about. So these, this kind of uh, interplay between these two aspects of our human experience or what create our human experience, create our reality, are what I call the human operating system. And psychedelics alter both aspects of the human 
operating system. And that's why the therapeutic effects are so profound. It helps us to change those subconscious programs, access the subconscious mind that can be hard to access in a regular day-to-day state. And it changes that physical construct too. It changes that chemical electrical activity, increases the plasticity and creates a, a unique situation where we have a higher ability to change our behaviors, change our thought processes, change the way we perceive the world. It can literally change our version of reality, which again is unique to each person. And if you know, supported properly. And if done in a safe container and um, done with intention, it can help you to have a more positive experience of reality, a more positive human experience. Thank you so much. I feel like that's one of the most in-depth yet succinct descriptions of what psychedelics and plant medicines do in the brain. And what's coming through is really this desire, if someone desires to heal or someone desires to optimize their human functioning, that desire may be there. But because of all of those programs running in the background, it can be very challenging to reprogram those, you know, the 95% of the, you know, the, the behaviors we have or the thoughts that we have. So there's this, this, the medicines allow us to have this access point into healing that may not be accessible with simply using the conscious mind. And this is why we see, you know, so many people coming in and perhaps they've done all the therapy, decades and decades of therapy or, um, you know, therapy combined with their yoga practice, combined with mantra work and breath work. And all of these are incredible tools. And yet there's some such deeply entrenched programs that are holding them back from really embodying their fullest expression. So can you speak to, cause this is something that we share with people when they come in is, is about the default mode network and how this work has the capacity to shift and change that. Can yeah. you share more about the default mode network, what it actually is, and then dive into that a little bit? Yeah, so um, the default mode network of the brain are is a, a collaboration of of a few different brain areas, which we don't have to get into that part. It's it's a little more nerdy and not so important to the conversation, but um, it is many parts of the brain, which is why when you get this um, network level desynchronization of brain activity, it helps to shut down. And I I don't want to say shut down because it never shuts off or shuts down completely, but it kind of resets the default mode network. The default mode network is the part of your brain that regulates your nervous system. It tells you if you need to be in fight or flight, or if it's okay to take down your guard and go into rest and digest. It's going to be the regulator of parasympathetic versus sympathetic, right? Um, And it's going to guide you which one you need to be in. And then it's going to keep those um, systems running in order to keep you safe and alive. Um, So most people, um, especially who are called to the plant medicine work, they 
have a default mode network that is keeping them in this hypervigilant fight or flight state more often than they need to be. It perceives that there is danger in the environment, whether that be um, a working environment that the person doesn't enjoy or deadlines that they feel overwhelmed that they can't meet or actual physical abuse to them, or it could um, be something as, as small perceivably small as, you know, just having a stressful situation happen or feeling chronically stressed. These things will keep the default network focused on the sympathetic state of the nervous system in order to keep you vigilant so that, you know, you can run from the lion or tiger, which is our lifestyle um, at this point. There is no lion or tiger anymore, but the default mode network doesn't know the difference between a lion and a tiger and a stressful day at work. It's the same kind of perceived threat. So when the default mode network can um, reset is what we'll call it. And we'll think about the whole human brain as like this human computer. It's like that physical construct of this laptop that I am looking at right now. I can touch and feel it. It's got um, wires and electricity and all of this stuff, right? So that's what the brain is like in the human computer. And when you can... Um, go into these psychedelic experiences, it can reboot the computer. And when you reboot the computer, there's the opportunity to shut down all the tabs, to shut down all your programs that are running, to kind of put everything away neatly. And then the computer will reboot. And just like a regular computer, if my computer reboots, and I just open back up all the tabs that I had open and I get everything back on exactly the way that it was, it's still going, it's just going to restart and start right back to where it was, even though it's going to take me a few minutes to open up all my programs and everything again, it's not going to be running optimally because I have too many screens open, too many documents open, too many programs running and it can be overwhelmed. So that's kind of like the sympathetic state of the nervous system and the default mode network that keeps you in that sympathetic state because all these tabs, all these programs, all these um, wires and everything is running and the fan is blowing, trying to cool it down and, and everything is, is um, working at this hypervigilant place. On the other hand, when you turn off your computer, reboot it and start it back up, that is an opportunity to start fresh, right? You can have, you can leave your tabs closed. You can only open up one at a time. You can get things more organized. You can make sure all your programs are shut down and just bring them on when you need to use them. And so that could be an opportunity for the default mode network to point you more towards a parasympathetic state or that rest and digest state. Whereas before the reboot, because all these all these um, programs are running and and all these um, systems are running and you're in this hypervigilant state, from that state, it can be really hard, if not impossible, to reset, to right. shift into sympathetic because you're just too far on that edge, too far into hypervigilance and fight or flight that your body is physically not going to let you shift into rest and digest, no matter how much you may want to. 
So it's, it's an opportunity. Yeah. So beautifully said. And the word is spaciousness. It creates enough mm-hmm. space between the stimulus of whatever your environment is or whatever yes. that thought is and the response of conscious choice. So the yes. space to allow you to take conscious choice, that action that is supportive of the emotional state, the thought programming that you desire to reprogram with. So for example, you know, you get, you get a text that may be triggering for you. And instead of like, you know, ferociously and aggressively getting on there to tell this person why they're wrong and all of these things, there's actually a pause between you receiving it the processing of emotion, and then responding. And such a great way to put it because, yeah, there may be desire to close down all the tabs and the programming, but not necessarily accessible. And I love this point because it's it's really speaking to as well that this, this work, authentic, intentional plant medicine work, um, there are the same kind of common denominators with that and what people desire out of their, their therapeutic healing, what they desire out of meditation, that there's that space creation. And I'm so grateful um, that you have been here with us during the show, Kayla, to, to share all of your wisdom. And I want to make sure we have enough time to, um, for you to open up and share with our listeners what's, at the forefront of your heart? What are you working on? How can people connect with you? Mm, Yeah, thank you. Um, The thing that I'm most excited about right now is really supporting and um, helping the feminine in our world to blossom and grow and take the stage and take leadership. Um, And one of the things that I love to teach about is the neuropsychology of women, of feminine leadership, and how things are different in the female neurology and brain versus the male neurology and brain. And this all has implications for plant medicine use and when and how and, and how things are different for men and women. And it's something that I'm really excited to start bringing more into the world and bringing more awareness around, um, especially because I feel that our world really needs the feminine to come in as a stronger leader at this moment. Um, and more of this collective thinking, this nurturing, um, uh, connected with nature, um, uh, energy that that the feminine and that women bring is what's really needed in our world um and so to that end um i offer all kinds of information classes programs um different offerings for women specifically is what i'm focused on right now and um you can find more info about those things at my website at herbiorhythm.com um, and also on social media, um, I post all kinds of different things about neuropsychophysiology and about women and the brain and psychedelics and all of these fun topics that that we covered today. Um, I share there and that uh, handle for social media is at biocurious underscore Kayla. And those are the two best places to find me. That's where I'll be hanging out at. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm deeply grateful that you were with us today. Thank you to our listeners. 
And uh, stay tuned for ne next week's episode. I'll be diving in with my husband and co-founder of the East Institute, Jeff Gladstein. We'll be talking all about the fire of divine relationships. And remember, the world needs the gifts only you have. What is your medicine? Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Medicine Wisdom with Lena Franklin. We hope today's episode was educational and helpful. Until we talk again next week, have a fabulous week. <laughs>